God, we in fact do need you. And we ask that you would come and speak into our hearts today. That as we open up your scripture and uh, begin to um, reflect on your word, that you would come, you Holy Spirit, break through whatever barriers or walls that we've put up in our life or other people have put in our life. You might uh, meet you in a new way. Your name, amen. Friends, if I haven't a chance to meet you, my name is Joe, and uh, I'm also one of the pastors here uh, at Central City, and uh, it is, uh, it's a joy to be with you all. Uh, my prayer today, as it is often Sundays, is that we might experience the risen Christ, and as we begin to open up Scripture and pray together and reflect and wrestle with uh, the difficult things in life uh, together as a community with one another, that, that we might find the words for the faith that we have in the God we love. So today we're finishing our series on the Psalms. Uh, it's a conversation for uh, looking at Scripture for those times when we don't have the words ourselves. So we've, we've dealt with a, a variety of topics that the Psalms also deal with. We've looked at five different Psalms or, or kind of three different playlists or different genres or albums, so to speak. We started looking at lament Psalms. Uh, for those times uh, when we're distressed or we're angry or we're broken. Then we looked at royal psalms for those times when we're concerned with justice or the state of the nation. Then we considered praise psalms, and we had a, a whole Sunday dedicated to just lifting our voices uh, to praise and thanks to God. And then last week, we looked at wisdom psalms, and we, wisdom psalms often deal with very existential, difficult questions, and so we spent the whole service talking about death. If you missed that one... Um, well, I don't know. It was a very difficult uh, topic for me to give, um, but I think an important conversation. So today we're finishing by looking at one last playlist of psalms, the trust or confidence psalms. For those times when you want to just hold on to God with everything that you've got. So the trust psalm that we're going to look at today is one of the most popular psalms and one of the most popular passages of all time. In fact, it's so popular that even if you're not a Christian or you don't read the Bible, um, there's a good chance you're familiar with this psalm. Uh, it's so popular. I remember when I was in English uh, uh, class in high school, I was the type of kid who was a, decided to follow Jesus pretty young, and it was this bold thing for me to like bring my Bible to school. Like I felt like it proved something or made some sort of point. I don't know if anyone ever had that sort of faith as a high schooler. I was nice about it, so don't, don't judge me. But I was bringing my Bible to school like it meant something. And, and I remember then in English class, I was reading the literature textbook that had been provided for me, and I turned the page, and guess what's laying on this page? Scripture. Like, in, in my English textbook, we were studying medieval literature, and this psalm, the King James Version of it anyways, was right there, a particularly beautiful version. It's so popular that there are uh, countless contemporary songs. Here's a few of the albums um, that you'll find references to this psalm. Yeah, maybe you guys know some of this. Uh, and numerous, on top of that, numerous other albums and movies and book references. It's this beautiful, powerful psalm that's powerful and beautiful in its, in its simplicity. In fact, I don't memorize much of Scripture. It's just not part of my personality. I know much of Scripture, but I don't memorize it word for word. But this is one of the passages that I've chosen to memorize from a very young age. And I can't tell you the countless other times growing up where I'd be laying in bed or I'd be kneeling before my bed and I'd be wrestling with God and I would recite this psalm. Do you know it? Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still water. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. 
You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures and leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's a powerful prayer. And it leaves the question, the question I want to look at today. What makes this psalm so powerful? Why is it so beautiful? Um, Why is it so popular? Why do we find it in English textbooks and in movies and in albums? What exactly makes it so great? That's that's the question I want to reflect on today. Um, Now, for me, I love this psalm, Psalm 23, because when I pray it, I found it becoming my prayer. It's written in first person, so that helps. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. My shepherd. It could say our shepherd or your shepherd, and that would be equally true, but it chooses to say my shepherd, mine. So I shall not want. I, I won't lack anything. Me. Of all of the people in the world, the Lord is with me and loves me, and God is caring for me, and he makes me lay down in green pastures. He leads me beside still quiet waters. Like, like I get to go to the green pastures, not just super spiritual people and not just people who have it all together, but m- me. And just reading this passage, I'm reminded that I I get to. God restores my soul, and God guides me along this path of of righteousness. And of all the people that God would lead, he chooses to to lead me. Even though I walk through this valley, of the the darkest valley, the shadow of death, I don't have to fear evil. I don't have to. I'm not going to fear evil anymore. Who would have thought that God would care so much about me? How is that even possible? Here's what makes one of the things that makes Psalm 23 so great. It's personal. And as a prayer, especially, I I think prayer is meant to be personal. It's rooted in this belief that, yes, God loves you. Even you. Even me. You know, I think there's a certain kind of boldness that, that, that comes when you believe someone loves you. I do. I think that we might pretend like we're loved, but to really accept love, to actually proclaim someone else's love over us, that's bold. Now, for some, maybe that's easy, but from my perspective and my experience, I, I tend to doubt whether people love me. I've been hurt. I've been let down. And I don't always just assume that people love me or trust that I'm loved. And so I turn this back around on God. I don't know if you've ever done this, but I just assume that deep under the surface that God doesn't necessarily love me in a personal way. Like I know God loves me, but to really love me because of who I am and the way I was, like God loves me because he, does he love me because he knows me? Does he actually like me? And so to stand before God and to proclaim, yes, God, you are my shepherd and, and that's enough. You're enough. You, you lead me and you guide me and you provide for me and you're making all things right. Me, you care enough to do all of that for me. 
for other people too, you're not, not included, but for me, that's bold. But it's true. God loves you. You specifically. First person. And that's one of the things that makes this psalm great. It's personal, and prayer should be personal. You know, I think it's easy in our hyper-religious worlds to sometimes make prayer this sort of like showing off or trying to sound religious. You know, you know, do you know how that works? Like the most spiritual person in the room is the one that everyone turns to when it's time to pray for the meal. I can't tell you the number of times I've been in a room because I'm a pastor, it's automatically assumed I'm going to pray for the meal. Like, I, like the food will be extra blessed if I offer a prayer over it. Um, and, 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 and I'll be honest with you, when, it's hard for me sometimes to pray publicly in a personal way. Like, I, it's much easier to try to sound like... Like, I want to offer a prayer that's as powerful as Psalm 23 when I pray publicly. It, it, and that's why I think some of the best prayers are the prayers you never hear. They're prayers that are offered to God in private, intimate prayers that are between you and God. In fact, that's what Jesus tells his disciples to do. During the time of Jesus, the religious people, they love to pray out loud. That's not the case anymore, of course, just back then. Um, but they love to pray out loud and to be seen by people. Matthew uh, 6, 5 says it like this. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. So they go and they pray in front of people because they wanted people to think they knew God, that they were close to God. In fact, they wanted people to, they, they cared more about whether people thought they were close to God than actually being close to God. And if, and if you want people to know that you've, you're close to God more than actually wanting to be close to God, there's a problem. So he tells them, he says, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who is unseen. And the father who is, uh, sees what is done in secret will reward you. So he says, get away to a quiet place, a private place, where no one can see you. You're not going to get any brownie points or gold stars from your Sunday school teacher for praying in this way. And out of faith, because of your faith, cry out to God. And that's what's so great about this psalm. For, for me, anyways, and I hope maybe for you at some point, it's so personal. It's the kind of prayer I've offered over and over again in the quietness, in the quietest of moments, in the quiet of the, of the night and in the midst of distress and when things are difficult. That's the first thing I think what makes this psalm really great and what can make all of our prayers really great is it's personal. The second thing, um, which I love this, um, the second thing that makes this psalm really great is that it's, that it's short enough to memorize. You can read it quickly, and its brevity, its shortness, doesn't actually take away from its meaning. It actually heightens it. So the second thing that makes this psalm great, in my opinion, is that it's brief. Yes, you heard that right. This, the, 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 this psalm, this prayer, is short. And I would argue good prayers usually are. So confession time. Speaking of praying before you eat, it's not something I normally do. This confession to all of you. I don't normally do it. Here's why. I grew up in a house where we always prayed before we ate, and it was the same prayer. I don't know if anyone else prays this prayer, but this was the same prayer. It was, Lord, bless this food and the hands that prepared it and make it nourishing to our bodies. 
Now, I got somewhere in my mind where I was like, I, I kind of assumed, I was like, you know, like ignorant enough to assume that we should ask for things that wouldn't otherwise happen um, instead of just saying things to God. So I just assumed if we're praying that our food be blessed and that it would be nourishing to our bodies, like those prayers are necessary for that food to not be cursed and um, for it to be nourishing. And so, yeah, growing up, um, you know, big family, not a lot of money, a lot of times mac and cheese all around the table, and we would pray, Lord, make this food nourishing to my body. So don't even tell me we didn't believe in miracles. We did. And and so when I got older, I was like, like I'm not like, why pray that? Um, I'd rather just like not eat food that's cursed and eat food that's nourishing already. And then I realized that that's not why most people pray before they eat. Most people pray before they eat because they're thanking God for what they have. And I'm like, okay, that actually I can get behind that. So I'm trying to change. I'm trying to get back into the habit a little bit of praying before I eat. But if we go out to lunch at some point and and you don't take the lead on whether we should pray or not. This, what's going to happen if you're relying on me to take the lead is I'm going to say a prayer and it's going to sound a little bit something like this. Lord, thank you for this food. Amen. And if I'm really hungry, that prayer might begin with the fry on the plate and end with the fry in my mouth. Just set, because, And you know what? I don't think there's anything wrong with a sincere and short prayer. Or as one of my mentors said, you can only pray for a hamburger so many times before you no longer need to pray for a hamburger. There's nothing wrong with a short prayer. There's nothing wrong with having something, taking it before and being brief. In fact, I think this is the best way to pray. Brief prayers can be powerful. Psalms 23 is this way. You can recite it in less than a minute. I've already recited it twice today, but it carries so much weight with it. In fact, after memorizing it and offering this as my prayer, I remember very young in my faith, I, I started saying less of it. Like it, I almost didn't need the whole, 20, you know, the whole chapter. I, I got to a point where I would lay in bed and be depressed or distressed or upset, and I would, I would get as far as, Lord, you are my shepherd, I shall not want. And, and I reached a place where like, that was enough. Lord, you are my shepherd, I shall not want. This is exactly what Jesus taught his disciples as well. If you go back to Matthew 6, we'll be jumping back and forth between Psalm 23 and Matthew 6. Psalm 23, of course, being a beautiful prayer, and Matthew 6 being a place where Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray. In Matthew 6, in the next verse, he says, When you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So here, here's the problem with the long prayer. There's nothing inherently wrong with long prayers or spending large amounts of time or spending you know, a sweet hour of prayer or multiple hours of prayer. Nothing wrong with that. But here was what was wrong with the long prayers that were happening in the time of Jesus. During this time, it was common for people to pray to all kinds of gods. And it was socially acceptable to try and word your prayers in such a way to get the attention of the gods. Like this was necessary. If you wanted the gods to do something to you, you had to get them to pay attention to you. You had to get their attention. You had to convince them to care about you. So you would do these long prayers and the, the Pharisees and other Christians, uh, Jewish people began to adopt this, this practice. You do these long prayers or specific words and maybe even some dances and all kinds of stuff to get the attention of the gods. Prayer was almost like this way to manipulate God to give you what you want. Back then, not now. We don't do that anymore. Jesus says, don't. Don't try and manipulate God with your many words or try to win God's favor or get God's attention with your many words. Don't, because God knows what you need already. In other words, here's what he's saying. We don't have to get God's attention. 
God is already paying attention to you. Right now. He knows you and he hears you. You don't have to do anything to get God's attention. In fact, I would say God is trying to get your attention. God is the one who's given us many words and dances and shown all of these acts to try to get our attention. And you don't have to try to convince God to give you what you want because we, we know that God loves us and gives us exactly what we need. So brief prayers, the, the kind that Jesus talks about, they're all about trust. I don't have to try to convince God. So, so I can just lay out my request and then trust. Silence or ending our prayer, not begging, not pleading, not going on and on, is a sign of trust. You say it, you believe God heard it, and you trust God's going to do something about it, and so there's no need to keep going. You've gone before God, you've laid it out, and, and the silence, the, 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 the ability to end your prayer early, so to speak, is you just trust that God's got it. Period. End of story. It's brief because the prayer ends in belief. And I almost didn't want to say that because it rhymes and I'm not that kind of pastor, but it's true. And if it helps you remember, kudos to you. It's brief because you're willing to trust God that God loves you, period, end of sentence, end of the prayer. God's got this, God is already paying attention. I learned this really from my mom. Um, this isn't in my notes, but I just keep thinking about it. My mom, this is how my mom was. She's just like very matter of fact kind of faith. Now, here's the thing about my mom. She spend hours every morning with God. So, so I'm not saying like we shouldn't spend long amounts of time with God, right? We should set aside massive amounts of time with God. But whenever I'd go to her with a problem or whatever, like there was just this sort of matter-of-fact faith in her where she was just like, like she just honestly assumed God can handle anything. Can you believe that? Like I, and it's funny that I say that, but I don't know many people who just believe that. Like, yeah, oh yeah, God will take care of it. And so like, there was just this sort of like brevity to even the statement, God's got it, and she really just believed it. And I think that's kind of what Jesus is talking about with these short prayers. God knows what you need already. God's got this. We can just, we can just lay it before him. So, but even though it's brief, it doesn't mean it isn't powerful. Psalm 23 and even the Lord's Prayer, the prayer that Jesus is about to teach his disciples in the Matthew 6 passage, they're both powerful prayers, and they're both very brief. Yet in their briefness, they, they actually cover quite a lot of stuff. They're both asking God for things. They're expecting God to give them certain things. And as I compared Psalm 23 and the Lord's Prayer, I realized that they ask for a lot of different things, but there's about four things that they both ask for, which I thought was interesting. And so I'm, because I thought it was interesting, you have to hear it. Um, four things that both prayers are saying, like, God, you're going to give us these Things. So I want to talk about those a little bit. They are, um, I'll give you the four of them and then we'll talk about them in detail. One, trusting that God is going to provide, that God is going to guide, that God is going to protect, and that God is going to reconcile. Guide, uh, provide, guide, protect, and reconcile. So let's talk about that. The first one is provide. Psalm 23 says it like this, Lord, you make me lie down in green pastures and you lead me beside still waters. We hear that and it sounds really beautiful. It sounds like a place I'd like to go on vacation and tranquil and peaceful. But what's really happening here is this. He's saying, if you're a shepherd and I'm a sheep, then you're going to lead me to green pastures and still waters because sheep need green pastures to eat and still water to drink. Like, this is just basic provision to stay alive. 
This is exactly what Jesus teaches as well in his prayer. He says, uh, if you jump to Matthew 6, Jesus tells him this is how you should pray, and he follows the same sort of pattern from Psalm 23. He says, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Uh, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. In other words, give me enough to eat today. Give sheep pastures so they can eat and give me bread so I can eat because I don't do the grass thing. So give us our basic needs. Provide. Now, most of us um, I, I know are pretty well off, and so I don't know when the last time you reached a point in your life where you were afraid where your next meal was going to come from. Uh, I bet there's some people in the room who've been there, but I would imagine most of us, that's not our daily existence. But there are people, there was a lot in the ancient world, and there's still many, many today, even many, many in our city who aren't sure where their next meal is going to come from. And so they would resonate especially with this trust, this, this element of trust. Like, God, I'm trusting you to give me what I need today to make it to tomorrow. And in many ways, even if we have enough to eat, there are other things in our life where we're, we're, it's our daily bread. Like, God, I need this today or I'm not going to make it to tomorrow. And this prayer, both prayers are saying, Okay, God, I'm going to trust this. The second universal need that this prayer asks for is they expect God to guide us, to guide. Uh, he says in Psalm 23, he guides me along the right path. He trusts that God will lead him in life. Jesus says it like this when you uh, jump back to Matthew 6. He says, lead me not into temptation. Guide me, lead me to the right place, not the wrong place. Here's something that's really important to understand about God. God is the kind of God who wants to lead us. This goes all the way back to the great story of the Old Testament. The story of Exodus is an entire story about how God was leading his people out of slavery, out of Egypt, to a place where there'd be green pastures. They literally referred to it as a land flowing with milk and honey, this, this promised land where they would have what they need. And so God is the kind of God who leads us to new places. And, and this is huge because, friends, we need guidance. We tend to drift, don't we? Like, left to my own devices, I drift. I, I, I just, I will drift back to Egypt every time. If I'm not, if I don't receive the right kind of guidance, I tend to just find and I stumble on to the, the wrong stuff. I have the wrong attitude. I have the wrong perspective. In fact, I would say this. You are not going to haphazardly, accidentally become a 100% committed follower of Jesus Christ. It's not going to happen. You're like, hey, I want to follow Jesus better. And I'm just waiting for it to fall into my life. It's not going to happen. It happens because we choose to be led in a new direction. We choose to say, God, take the lead and I'll follow. So he, he, he reaches out. He says, I want you to provide what I need today for tomorrow. And I trust that you'll guide me to a better place, to a better life, um, to a new direction. The, the next one is that he also trusts that he'll protect Psalm 23 says it like this. He says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. This is the, the most quoted part of the psalm, which is probably the most quoted part of you know, the Bible. And um, it's a beautiful line, but it's ultimately a cry for protection. A cry to God that even in our darkest moments, even when I'm in the valley of the shadow of death, in the darkest of all valleys, God is going to protect me so I have no reason to fear, which is interesting. Because he's saying here that when I'm in the darkest valley, like he's going to be there at some point. He's planning on it. 
he will find himself, or he or she will find himself in a place that, they, that, that, that we don't belong. And I don't know if you thought about that, but his trust in God did not mean he would be exempt from dark valleys. In fact, this beautiful trust psalm where it's saying, I trust you, God, this much, is basically saying, God, I trust you so much that I know I will be in a dark valley at some point, but I'm not going to fear when that happens because I know you've got me. In other words, there's this evil brokenness in the world that is unavoidable, friends. No matter how much you trust God, no matter how good of a life you live, there is evil and brokenness in this world that is unavoidable. You cannot bypass the valley. You will find yourself there. Jesus says it like this in his prayer. He says, deliver us from the evil one. He's saying kind of the same thing. He's saying that there's an evil, spiritual enemy of some sort in the valley, and without God's help, that spiritual war will overtake us. If you don't realize how much you need God's protection in your life to protect your heart, to protect your family, to protect your, the way you think about the world, to protect your relationships, then you've, you're missing out. I mean, you're, you're ignoring the war that's around us. There's brokenness all around us, and we need protection from it. So he's willing to trust for God to provide, to guide, to protect. And, and then the last one, which is my favorite, he's willing to trust God to reconcile. Here's what I mean by that. Psalm 23 says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Can you imagine that? So imagine with me, God has set this table. Um, it's a beautiful table, fine linen, of course. Um, and uh, he's invited you and one other person. You don't know who it is, but you, you show up and, oh my gosh, it's just the table is just gorgeous. You can smell the roast in the kitchen or, um, or the chickpea curry for the vegans in the room. And, um, you know, but, it's, but either way, it smells great and it's, it's, it's divine. Okay? And so God's prepared this meal. He's prepared this table and he knows he's gonna invite, you're invited and one other person's invited. And so you're showing up and you're like, you don't know who it is. Who's it going to be? Who's God prepared this meal for with me? Is it going to be this long lost relative or someone, maybe someone who's passed away because God can do anything. Or maybe it's this long lost friend or, or maybe it's somebody that you lost touch with. So you don't know who it is, but you, special meal. You've prepared this meal for me and one other person. And so we show up and across the room, guess who's on the other side of the room? Your worst enemy. So pause and think who that is. Don't pretend like you don't have one. Who's on the other side of the room? And honestly, if it was any other meal with any other host, you know what I'd do? I'm like, see you later. I'm not, I'm not sitting at that table. But it's like, it's God. He's set the table. He's prepared this meal. And he says, here, have a seat and, and sit at the table with your enemy. And the only way I'm going to sit at that table, the only reason I'm going to sit at that table is because God said it. Because I'm telling you what, friends, I can't mend relationships like that. I don't have the strength. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not that good of a person. You might be, I'm not. The only way I'm going to reconcile with, with that person or with those people is because God has set the table. And that's what the psalmist says. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. This is how Jesus says it. He says, forgive our debts as we forgive those who transgress, forgive our debts as, as we forgive our debtors, as those who transgress against us. Like, there are people who've hurt us, and Lord, we know you're going to forgive us because we're willing to forgive them. In other words, we're willing to sit at the table with that person. We're willing to be reconciled. Each one of these things just touches into some of the most um, deep needs of humanity. 
when we talk about God providing, we're talking about the very basic things we need today to make it to tomorrow. It's, there's nothing more human than that. We talk about God guiding us out of slavery into life. There's this sense that God, by God guiding us, he gives us purpose. And this is what everyone wants. I want a sense of purpose. I want a sense of direction. And God says, I'll give that to you. When we talk about God protecting us, we're talking about one of the most basic human needs of feeling safe, Right? of having security, and God says, I'll, I'll give you that. And we talk about reconciliation, we're talking about the very basic human needs to not be alone. And without reconciliation, we will be. Without this willingness to, for God to mend our relationships, we will be. And so we're talking about very human basic needs, and they're all rooted in this belief that God cares enough about us to provide, to guide, to protect, and to reconcile. Have you all um, ever written a love letter? I'm of a generation that doesn't write love letters. I was thinking about this. As in, I might have when I was a teen, I don't remember. I don't know if they're called love letters. I think they're called love notes. And I don't think we use the word love. Um, that's too intense. <laughs> but um, as an adult, I don't think I ever wrote a love letter. Um, I bet there's some people here who have. You know, just a really heartfelt, intimate love letter. Um, me and Alyssa, we, we, we started dating online almost. We met in person. We didn't meet online, um, but we started dating online. We would do Netflix and movies like in different cities and message all the time. Um, so we were so digital. I never got around to writing a love letter, and I feel really bad about that, Alyssa. Um, but, uh, so maybe I'll write one, but it'll mean a lot less now that I've said it to a bunch of people. But, but have you, there's something bold about writing. Of course, all the other men in the room are feeling convicted as well. Good. Um, there's something bold about declaring your love for another person, isn't it? There's something really bold about that. But, but you know what? That's not exactly even what's going on in the Psalms. It's, it's crazier than that. The Psalms aren't just declaring our love for God. The psalmist is almost like he's declaring God's love for us. So it'd be like this, and this is a little weird, but, but listen to me. It'd be like me writing a love letter to Alyssa and articulating most of the time about how confident I was that Alyssa loved me. In most relationships, that's presumptuous, and I would say unhealthy. With God, it's not. The, most of Scripture is real, human, broken people who say, I know this to be true, and so I'm going to write it out. And it's not just my love for God, but it's, it's my confidence in God's love for me. In fact, I wonder if maybe they're writing it out in part because they're not confident in it, and they want to be. And so we articulate it, and we put it into words, and we use images and poetry. We find the words when we can't find them for ourselves, and we put them down on paper or scrolls or in songs, and we, so we can be confident in God's love for us. It's sort of a backwards way of writing a love letter, but it's what most of Scripture is. Trusting, confident how God feels for you. I'm going to invite the, the band to come up. We're going to, um, or whoever's coming up for the, for the action step. Um, we have just five half sheets of paper. And we're going to do a little exercise. We're going to give you just, you know, five minutes or so to do this, maybe a little bit more as we go on. What I want to do is, as we end this series on the Psalms, we want to, we want to invite this community um, to write a psalm ourselves. So we put together five just half sheets of paper, and what we want to do is, it's a little bit like maybe imagine the telephone game, that sort of thing, or uh, Mad Libs, or I, uh, there's actually 
there's another game that I'm not thinking of that's a better illustration. It doesn't matter. What we want to do is we're going to start passing these five half sheets out. At the top, there's really simple prompts that were taken from our weekly devotions. You can use those if you want, or you can just add to whatever you want. There's front and back. And what I invite you to do is don't let this pass by you without adding at least one word. And we talked about how it could be brief, but just add one word or a phrase or a verse or a thought or something that reflects how you feel about God, your life, whatever. You can use the prompt. You can ignore the prompt. What we want to do is we want to take these words, these phrases together, and we want to actually combine them into a psalm or two. We're going to get some people who are good at poetry. If, if that's you, let me know. Um, and uh, we're going to try to combine them into a psalm that reflects the heart of this community. So we're going to pass this around. You, you can't spend a lot of time with it, but as you add to it and someone else writes next to it and below it, you can read what they wrote, and maybe that will inspire you to add to these community psalms. So we're just going to take a couple of moments here to reflect, to pray, to add, and to write our own words what God is doing in our life.